Well, thank you, Pastor Hudson. It's interesting how things work out. Last Sunday, we borrowed Pastor Hudson at Knox. He preached for us. And to return the favor, or perhaps in retaliation, I'm here at Tyrone. As uh, Pastor mentioned, this is a busy weekend uh, for us. Our son, Josiah, who grew up in this church, uh, will be getting married, and it's uh, less than six hours away, son. And uh, he's here with us today in the church which he, he grew up in. It's been a full weekend already. We had the rehearsal um, yesterday morning, the rehearsal dinner last night, the fun of staying in a hotel uh, overnight and wrestling with a five-year-old, two-year-old uh, grandsons, getting ready uh, to come here, uh, having already bridesmaid transportation issues. It's been a full morning. But when Pastor Lawrence called me up and said, you're going to be here at Tyrone, you want to preach? I said, sure, no problem. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> this is a special place for us. It always will be. Our daughter, uh, Danny, and her husband, Alex, were married here in this sanctuary uh, 13 years ago. Uh, the place has never looked better, and it's, uh, this is a special place for us. This morning, we're going to look at two different passages from Ephesians 6 and 1 Samuel uh, 17. Um, I think the words are going to be projected. We'll start with the uh, Ephesians passage, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against any schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take this helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, First Samuel 17, the familiar story here, the forces of Israel were faced off against the forces of the Philistines, the champion of the Philistines, Goliath, uh, stood before the Israelites, taunting them and um, defying everything they stood for, saying, I defy the forces of Israel and send out a man to battle with me. And seeing that there was no volunteers coming forward, young David, the son of Jesse, who was from Bethlehem, said that he would face the giant. And so I'm going to read the portion where David came out to meet Goliath, First Samuel 17, uh, beginning with verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel in whom you have defied. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we may not see ourselves as being Christian warriors, uh, but we do need to be prepared to give answer for the hope that we have in Christ. So may we learn to speak the truth in love, and as we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and to proclaim the gospel, the good news, to all you bring into our world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a pastor here, an elder in this church, Russ Townley would come to my office on Thursday mornings, and we would sit down together, read Scripture, and we would pray. There was no hidden agenda. We would simply read Scripture, get down on our knees, and pray together. I miss those times with Russ, and I miss Russ. He went to be with the Lord at the, right at the beginning of our, uh, this COVID uh, experience, and I felt like I never really had a chance to say farewell uh, to Russ. But Russ was not only a, an elder here, he was also a Gideon. How many of you have ever received one of these pocket-sized New Testaments from a Gideon? Maybe you got this from Russ and Deb. Um, to emphasize the importance of reading God's Word, they have a couple of paragraphs at the beginning of these New Testaments. Let's go over that together. It says, the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven open, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good the design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Now that is a good summary of what we believe concerning the Word of God. It is our only rule for faith and practice. It is fully inspired, inerrant, and profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. Here in Ephesians, uh, the Scriptures are described as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if, all the, if you've studied this passage, I'm sure you've gone through it, uh, all the pieces of armor in Ephesians 6 are primarily used for defensive purposes, but the sword is different. The sword for the Roman soldier was a weapon to be used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
The Roman sword was more like a dagger. It wasn't that long. It would be attached to the belt and ready to use at a moment's notice. The sword of the Spirit is a part of the believer's arsenal. It fits well with the analogy of hand-to-hand combat. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle uh, with flesh and blood. Because when you wrestle, you are face-to-face with your enemy. Uh, Your rival is literally in your face, and so you've got to be ready for that uh, contact. So we're going to approach this passage in four steps. Assessing your enemy, appraising your armor, applying your faith, and adoring your Savior. First of all, you want to assess your enemy. You want to know what you're up against. And we're using David as an example. His adversary was the mighty Goliath. He was a giant of a man. Uh, He was intimidating. He was daunting. And nobody in their right mind wanted to go toe-to-toe with uh, Goliath. Now, your enemy may not necessarily be a physical threat to you. The Scriptures tell us that our adversary could be the world, the flesh, or the devil. Or as verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you face an adversary, you need to know what you're up against. When David looked across the valley, he could see what he was up against. His enemy was larger than himself. Uh, He was armed with the weapons of the world, and he knew how to use them. And he approached David with a shield-bearer at his front. To assess your enemy, you you need to know his tactics, to be familiar with his methods, to understand his motives. Goliath was boastful. He was arrogant. He set out to intimidate the Israelites. He was aggressive and forceful, and he looked upon David with scorn and derision. In our day, the forces that are hostile to the things of God can be just as daunting. Almost daily, you hear from cultural elites some kind of defiance, very similar to what came out of the mouth of Goliath. And it comes in academic Uh, circles, entertainment, corporate circles, social media, and sometimes even in the halls of Congress. Modern culture is defiant against biblical Christianity. Now, your personal spiritual battle may be far more subdued, more subtle. Your spiritual foe may be less aggressive, but he's just as formidable. Temptation is often mentioned in the Bible is a tactic of the enemy of our souls. We read earlier in the service, Pastor Mark, of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The evil one was baiting Jesus to believe that God cannot be trusted. And that's a tactic that worked with Adam and Eve, and it's been used by Satan ever since. It goes this way. Don't trust God. Go with what feels right at the moment, and don't deny yourself. Uh, That's pretty much the same tactic Satan will use against you in times of temptation. Temptation is the enticement to exchange the truth of God for a lie. An old Bible dictionary defined it this way, the solicitation of the passions in defiance of God. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, temptation is the weapon of choice for the devil. It's effective because it takes what is common and turns it into something that's wicked. First uh, Corinthians says, no temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. You see, we all have desires. We all have ambitions. We all have aspirations. The devil takes what is common and he corrupts it. Uh, he'll tell you that if God was really good, he would give you what you want when you wanted it. Book of James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire which is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin which when it is fully grown brings forth death. To assess your enemy is to know his tactics. It is to be familiar with his methods, and it is un to understand his motives. Don't trust God. Go with what feels right, and don't deny yourself. Now let me digress for a moment before we go on to our next point. You need to know who your real enemy is so you're not distracted. Don't make those who disagree with you on any particular issue your enemy. Don't mistake people who dislike you as your main adversary. The Bible is very clear in how to respond to people who are against you. You are to pray for them. You are to go the extra mile in serving them. And you are to forgive them if they have wronged you in one way or another. Those of us who are Christians, especially evangelical Christians who have strong moral convictions can sometimes get caught up in the culture wars. And sometimes we can lose sight of who the real enemy is. The devil would have you return hatred for hatred, insult for insult. Uh, Satan doesn't want you to fight him. He wants you to fight those around you. James 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you because Satan is a coward. Uh, he dwells in darkness. He flees from the light. So let your light shine before men so that the world can see that there's an alternative than the way that other, most everybody else handles conflict. But sometimes, sadly, we as Christians can be just as worldly as pagans when we got caught up in disagreements. James 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And sometimes your own pride will be your biggest enemy. Somebody's offended you, your feelings have been hurt, and the desire is to lash out and avenge yourself. But what does the Bible say? It says, vengeance is mine saith the Lord. So trust God, not your feelings. Leave in His hands what is out of yours. There very well may be times when you have to face a Goliath-type figure, 
You may have to publicly speak out on a moral issue, which will offend the status quo. Uh, Taking a stand for Christ will make you a target, an object of scorn and ridicule by some. You'll become an enemy to those who oppose you. But your biggest and most consistent enemy is often within your own heart. So know your enemy. Second point is this, appraise your, uh, appraising your armor. Uh, it's knowing what you have in your own defense, what weapons you have at your disposal. The first thing that's worth noting if you go through this passage, all of the pieces of equipment that's given in the armor of God, the helmet, the shield, the shoes, and all of that, there's nothing there to protect uh, your back. You are to face your foe. Uh, you are to stand firm in your faith. You are to advance against the enemy. Second Corinthians 10 says, for, we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raise, raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, Jesus put it this way, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But that doesn't mean that we have the internal fortitude to fight off every foe. It means that the Word of God is what we have at our disposal. Uh, Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and, dis, uh, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. When David faced Goliath, uh, he was given at first the armor of Saul to put on, and that didn't work out at all. Uh, Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on his uh, helmet of bronze and clothed him with a cloak of armor. David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said, I can't go with these. These don't fit me. So when you are facing someone who hates God and disdains you as well, you're going to have to appraise what you have in your arsenal. Uh, what works for someone else may not work for you. You may not be a trained debater or a skilled theologian, but God does provide. Certainly did for David. David took in his staff in his hand and five smooth stones from a brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So let's say you're facing a belligerent co-worker or neighbor who is antagonistic toward you because of your, of your faith, what you believe. The person may be more educated than you are. He may be more aggressive than you are, more confrontational, especially if they're communicating online, which is the way most of these go these days. So who are you to stand up against that kind of foe? Well, you've got to be authentic. Don't try to put on somebody else's armor. What do you have at your disposal? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect. Remember that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Having God's Word in your heart is 
vital, but it's only the first step. The Spirit of God gives you the ability to speak to others with gentleness and respect. And gentleness and respect may be your most effective weapon. Your confidence should never be in how clever or persuasive you are. Your faith is in the sovereignty of God. If He puts you in a position uh, where your faith is being tested, He will provide what you need. So young David took his staff in his hands, five smooth stones and a sling, and for that particular battle, that's all that he needed. 2 Corinthians 6 says, By truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Look at what's there. Weapons of righteousness, truthful speech, the power of God. Your armor may not seem all that impressive to others. And when you're in a confrontational moment, it's hard to think straight. The only Bible verse that may come to mind is John 3.16. But if you speak the truth in love, that may be just what you need at that time. Remember that Jesus said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Trust the Lord. You have the sword of the Spirit. Don't run away from a challenge. God does provide. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who becomes to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So assess your enemy, appraise your armor, and now apply your faith. Now, some of you may be very uncomfortable with this whole concept of spiritual warfare. You don't see yourself as that kind of believer. You're not looking to fight with anyone if, in fact, you want to avoid any kind of conflict. Uh, you, want, you would just assume blend in with everyone else so that you don't have to defend uh, your beliefs to those who might be hostile to them. And I can understand that. I can sympathize. I don't go around looking for fights. But sooner or later, you're going to have to apply what you say you believe. Uh, that may be stepping out of your comfort zone. It may be entering into an arena in the defense of the faith, fighting the good fight. And that's what David did. Listen again to what he said. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David had no guarantee that he could slay that giant. You have no guarantee that if you get into a discussion, argument, or confrontation with someone who disagrees with you about your your faith, the things that you believe in. You have no guarantee that you'll come out on the better side of that event. But taking that first step, 
may be the most important faith-based move that you could make. We do live by faith, not by sight. We have no guarantees in the temporal sense. And when Jesus sent out the disciples uh, to the multitude, the, the ministers of the lost sheep of Israel, he pretty much said that to them. There'll be mixed results. Uh, he said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In today's day and age, it, it is not easy to stand for the gospel. It takes faith to speak out for Christ. Uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You may not always see the results that you want to see uh, when you wield the sword of the Spirit. But you do have a promise. Isaiah 55 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but to water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that comes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If you're facing a Goliath or if you're out in the wilderness, if you're dealing with a painful personal or family conflict, apply what you say you believe. Face that conflict. Confront your fears. Step toward the battlefield, not away from it. Don't just focus on how big your opposition is, but consider who it is that has your back. As the prophet said, not by might nor by power, but by by spirit, uh, says the Lord of hosts. Quote appropriate passage, passages of Scripture and believe the promises therein. Humbly speak the truth in love. Then leave the results in God's hands. Uh, Paul writes in Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Have God's word in your heart so that when the opportunity comes, you can speak that truth to one that you love. Be, as James says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Apply your faith by doing what may be uncomfortable. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't rely on your own insights. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Our final point, uh, adoring your Savior. The story of David and Goliath is not meant to glorify the young shepherd born in Bethlehem, that's not the only reason for it. There's another shepherd, a greater David, who was also born in Bethlehem, and he's the one to be adored. The lowly shepherd boy David would rise to become the king of Israel, but the greater David wore a crown of thorns as the true king of kings. He's the one to be praised. King David won many great victories, but was tarnished by his own sin. The greater David faced greater temptations, but had no sin. He's the one to be worshipped. David's tri triumph over Goliath was a great victory. David's greater triumph, the greater David's triumph over sin and death was the ultimate victory. Salvation is found only in him. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Jesus is the word that became flesh. I close with this. The Pharisees knew the Bible as well as anybody, but they didn't know the one that the Bible was pointing to. Uh, Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think that 
In them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You may be familiar with the Bible, but you need to know the Savior. You may be on the right side of all the moral issues of the day, and that is good, but you need to know the one who paid the penalty for the sins of the world, including your own sin. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is an offensive weapon. Jesus is the one who came to destroy the work of the devil. So don't fight your battles in your own strength. Don't pretend that you can take on all the Goliaths of the world just the way David did. But when you set out to honor the true King of kings and Lord of lords, you can fight any battle and confront any foe. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote that he had fought the good fight, he had finished the race, he had kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me, he says, a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but for all those who have loved and longed for his appearing. Many, may that be the case for all of us here, that with the armor of God fashioned security, and the sword, securely and the spirit, sword of the spirit at hand, we may step forth in faith, knowing that Christ has won the ultimate victory over sin and death. Work in our hearts this day to the end that Jesus is honored and glorified in and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name.